Hi, I'm Allison. And I'm Taylor. And together, we're the Anxiety Chicks. Each week, we will dive deep into a different topic about anxiety and the real-life experiences we all go through, while giving you all the top tools and tips you need for your journey to recovery. Our degrees may say therapist and dietitian, but together, we are just real chicks on our own healing journeys, too. Join us as we take you from panic to power and reduce the stigma of mental health. Remember, you're never alone and we're all in this together. Hi, healers. Allison here. So I want to talk to you all a little bit about one of our new sponsors, BetterHelp. I'm so excited to tell you about this online counseling platform because as a licensed therapist, I'm a huge advocate of mental health awareness and truly believe in providing affordable counseling services to anyone, anywhere. Let's face it, there's so many areas in the United States and around the world that can make it so difficult to find affordable counseling. And especially if you live in a more rural area, it can be really hard to find a counselor, which is why I love this online platform. BetterHelp is an online mental health healing platform that provides online counseling and matches you with your own licensed professional therapist. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's a professional counseling service done securely online and is available worldwide. What's even better is that there are a number of different licensed counselors who specialize in all different areas of mental health. BetterHelp makes it so easy to log onto your account at any time and contact your therapist directly. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses and can schedule as many weekly video or phone sessions as you would like. As a therapist, I know that it's not always possible to find the right therapist for your needs, especially the very first time. So BetterHelp has actually made it so easy to facilitate great therapeutic matches. And if you don't find a connection with your first counselor, there's absolutely no charge to change counselors if you ever need to. How amazing is that? And if you find that you're struggling financially, they also have financial aid available. So we have a special offer for all Anxiety Chick listeners today. Sign up now and receive 10% off your first month. Just visit betterhelp.com slash the anxiety chicks. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P slash the anxiety chicks and join over 500,000 people who are taking charge of healing their mental health with an experienced counselor today. Hi, healers. It's Allison here. So I want to tell you a little bit more about how Taylor and I got started with our podcast and the platform we've been using, which is Anchor, has been so user-friendly and so amazing. I just want to tell anyone else out there that is thinking about starting a podcast, Anchor is the way to go. First of all, it's completely free. So hello. Second of all, there's so many creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. It's crazy. I'm recording this right from my phone and it literally just looks like the record button on your videos or your Instagram. So it really is such a user-friendly platform. And the coolest thing is, is you can add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes too. And the possibilities are seriously endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never even seen before. Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many other platforms. And you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And like I said, it's so user-friendly. I recommend Anchor. Go to anchor.fm to get started or the Anchor app.
See you later, healers. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Anxiety Chicks podcast. This is Taylor, obviously not Allison. Allison normally starts the podcast, but Allison needed the week off uh, just to work on some personal stuff, and she'll be back next week. But today, I have a special guest, my brother. He actually is highly requested by a lot of followers and people who listen to the podcast after I shared about his experience post-COVID. I kind of talked about my brother's experience with anxiety in the past and then kind of like going through COVID and then post-COVID. So um, yeah, this will be a, a very interesting podcast. I hope you gain f- something from it and Allison will be back next week, but let's get into it. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Hey, how are y'all? So I think what people really wanted to hear about is just your experience with anxiety in the past mm-hmm. and then kind of what you did. Cause I mean, personally, I've, I've talked about this on here before too. You went through like a really hard season of life, but then you got through it very well. And I wouldn't see, I wouldn't say I ever saw you worry or panic until we got COVID. So, I mean, you didn't have any anxiety since you were how many years, ten, eight years ago. Yeah, about seven to eight, yeah. Seven to eight years. So kind of mm-hmm. start with, uh, I guess, your experience with anxiety, however long back you can remember it, and then kind of what you did to help yourself. Yeah, so what happened for me was I was smoking a lot of weed, and I think at some point I might have a genetic thing, I don't know, but I had basically like a breakthrough, and um, I started seeing like um, in my peripheral vision, like stuff moving kind of, and it was really freaky. And I learned now that's called like HPPD. It's really, really weird. But um, basically it threw me for a loop in terms of like worry and anxiety. That was your first experience of anxiety? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say that was the first uh, experience. It was, it was basically that kind of concern about my health. And then it turned the, into- The vision was? Or you yeah. just were having thoughts? Well, the vision thing happened. And then I started having thoughts about that. Like, what could be wrong with me? Is everything good? And I kind of had like a change of like feeling a safety. So I kind of became it Was it uh, randomly out of nowhere or was it like it progressed? Like, was it just one day it just like kind of randomly happened? That's how a lot of people explain. Like, they kind of remember a pre-anxiety and then a Mm -hmm. post-anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. Mine happened out of nowhere. And I was like, oh, what's this? And that got, it got progressively worse. So it kind of turned into health anxiety a little bit, and then it turned into general anxiety. And, um, I would say like sort of OCD as well. Like I had, which I've read about some people having where it's like, they worry about being poisoned or drugged. And it was sort of an obsession about that. And then it turned into a worry about, uh, you know, getting, I don't want to go into it too much, but getting very rare, like diseases, so it kind of manifested as health anxiety. Well, no, you can explain the one you really focused on because that's what I remember. Because I didn't even know what anxiety was when my brother was going through this. Like, I, I don't even think, Ryan, did you know what anxiety was? No, no. And that's what was scary is this was like 2009-ish. Yeah, so it like wasn't talked about. Yeah, there was no Reddit. There was WebMD, which doesn't really <laughs> help you. Yeah, it's like, oh, you're going to die. But I remember my brother having specific fears and like I would laugh because I didn't understand then. But he was like so uh, specifically fearful of rabies. And I know so many of you guys have messaged me saying you have the specific fear too. So did that, was that your first big fear and like obsession? 
Yes. Yeah. For health. Yeah. And then it was, it was like fear of being poisoned or drugged. And I remember like, you I, having to hear the click on the water bottle. Yeah. 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 That was a thing. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that made, and it just, I, I think what happened was it was very stressful. Like people with anxiety can really relate to this because, you know, if you're preoccupied with like concern and worry all day, then you get tired. And then it's almost like a cycle of symptomology where you're like, okay, I'm tired. And what does that mean? So it's like a whole other, old other thing. It reinforces itself basically. Right. Right. Um, so you were going through all that and I remember mom and dad, they definitely didn't know what anxiety was because I'd never heard what anxiety was that you were going through it at a time where it really wasn't spoken about, probably wasn't much on the internet. There was definitely no podcast like this to help you feel better. So what did you do to kind of start help or how did you recognize it was anxiety? What was your first like point of realizing, okay, I'm not, something's not wrong with me. I'm just struggling mentally. Well, it was a, it was multiple experiences of basically thinking I had something preparing to die from it and then not dying. So like after a while of that happening, you start to realize, okay, well, I've been worrying about stuff. It's nothing's happening about my worry. So it's probably not what I'm thinking it is because like a lot of my concerns were based on, okay, if you have this, you're going to die in like a month and then a month would happen and then two months would happen. And I was like, okay, well, this is getting kind of ridiculous. So when I realized it was anxiety, I started looking into solutions um, some of the solutions back then, uh, basically like there what was, was your first step though, of like learning about anxiety. What was your, where'd you first ever hear about anxiety? Uh, WebMD. Like I, I really? realized that, yeah, I, I, I saw like, okay, you know, the fast heart rate, um, sometimes trouble breathing or whatever it, it could be caused by anxiety. And I was right. like, okay, well, if this is anxiety, what can I do about it? And one of the things I looked into was something called Holosync at the time. And it's related to binaural beats. And I think, I don't know if it exactly works, but what it required was you to go into a meditative state of mind. And as you're meditating and uh, it's meditation does something like it, tri- it calms down the amygdala. So the fear of flight response, fight or flight. And when you're calmed down, things get a little easier because then you have time to kind of think differently about your problems. So when I started meditating, I you know started feeling more relaxed. So that continual cycle of anxiety stopped. And then I started to feel more relaxed. And then because I was able to kind of, in a way, control how you know relaxed I felt or anxious I felt, it sort of started balancing out to where my high anxiety became lower. And mm-hmm. I felt I felt like kind of more relaxed. And in my opinion, um, it was a continual practice of meditation and I would do it for 30, 40 minutes every day. And after that, I, I really calmed down to the point where my anxiety became a lot more social rather than health. Mm-hmm. And the health anxiety though, it came back, uh, cause I did, I did stop meditating for a while, which was, you know, not good. And the health anxiety came back around the COVID time. So, okay, wait, wait. Let's back up. Let's back up though, because I, mm-hmm. I feel like when you got into all that meditation, and I think you should also touch a bit on the hypnosis stuff too. I mm-hmm. mean, you were like an expert. You, I mean, we, we would see you doing just some like crazy stuff around the house <laughs> with like 
tapping and meditating, but you could get yourself so calm. I remember you even at one point being able to regulate your heart rate. Cause I, yeah. cause I remember when I started having anxiety, you were completely over anxiety and you mm-hmm. were like trying to teach me things. And it, I just didn't have as much control as you had. And you were, I felt like you just had a major control of your mind, but going back to your anxiety, do you feel like it turned into social because anxiety kind of made you look at your old life and be like, okay, I can't be a part of that life anymore. So now I'm having to start from a uh, square one And so then you kind of go a little bit a while without friends Mm -hmm. and then you kind of get to this point of like, you almost forget what it's like to socialize. Yeah. And then it kind of turns into the social anxiety. Cause I think a lot of people relate with that when they get anxiety, they isolate. And after they isolate, they kind of forget what it's like to live a normal life again. Well, so there's a, uh, if we take the theory of Pavlov, which is a, a psychological theory, it's called behaviorism. So with behaviorism, what Pavlov did is he, uh, he associated the sound of a bell to salivation. So basically a dog would walk up, uh, he would, there would be like food out there. And as the dog saw the food, Pavlov would ring a bell. And then soon enough, all Pavlov had to do was ring a bell and the dog would start salivating as if there was food there when sometimes he didn't have food there. So what that means though, is we can associate things in time with other things meaning we can connect two, two responses together, which may have no logical connection. So I think what happens is when someone, like let's, let's say it's not anxiety, let's say it's general stress of the day. When someone's experiencing a lot of stress and then they're also at the same time in these situations, whether it's the grocery store, socializing, you're associating that unconsciously, you're associating that stress response with all those other things. So mm-hmm. then what happens is when you enter those other contexts, it's literally like practicing. So when you enter those other contexts, you have the stress response because it's been practiced. It's been associated just like wow. Pavlov's bell. Yeah. Well, that's no, I think hypnosis. a lot of people, Ryan, I think you just hit a huge thing because I received so many messages of people saying, I don't understand all of these symptoms and feelings happened out of nowhere. And what Mm -hmm. I try and say is kind of what you said, but in a different way. It's just like you have been living in that state for so long and practicing it every day subconsciously or whatever, how you said Mm -hmm. it. And so it's kind of just your body's normal reaction, right? It kind of gets in the habit. Yeah. Yeah. Your body starts to associate things in time. So at the same time as other things are happening. So, I mean, another, another real world example would be you're watching a Netflix show, all the, all the shows you watch on Netflix, let's say they're on like a computer. Well, Mm -hmm. the show's really good. And then you get that feeling of a really good show happening, like that feeling of excitement. And as that's happening at the same time, you're watching the show, you're on your computer and all those responses come together at at Mm -hmm. the same time. So then what happens is that's why we get addicted to things. So that feeling, wow. that association of the computer to Netflix, and then you all of a sudden- You almost want that hit again? Yeah, like yeah. It's, yeah. Like, a, it's like a drug. Yeah. But it can also, like I said, it can happen in negative ways too, which sucks. Right. Um, and that's how I think a lot of anxiety, like generalized anxiety happens because the brain doesn't understand like necessarily what we want. It just understands what we've practiced the most. Mm-hmm. So if if I'm, you know- if every time I'm in a social situation, I feel anxiety that gets associated 
And even though I don't necessarily want that response, if I keep practicing it, I get the response. So this is where hypnosis comes into play. So like if with hypnosis, you can essentially bypass the kind of logic. So the, uh, you know, real, not real, it's basically bypassing the critical factor, like analysis mode. And then you could go into like imagination land. And when you're in imagination land, it's just like, you know, if you sit, it's like visualization. So if you sit down and you really play with your visualizations and you, you see yourself in the situations where you want to feel happy, feel relaxed, feel having fun, you can actually create those feelings in yourself through visualization. So as you're feeling those feelings, all the ones you want, you can then tie them to the context you need them in. So whether it's social context, whether it's things you want to do, you can then associate the positive response with the situation, just like mm -hmm. Pavlov and the dog. So through wow. practice of that, you could habituate, uh, which means you can create the connection to, to essentially have, you know, sorry about that, to essentially experience what you want to experience in the context. And right. um, that's also, it's not just with hypnosis. Hypnosis is a very easy, direct way to do it, but there's also things like CBT therapy. And uh, I'm sure you've talked about CBT on your podcast before. One of, the, one of the big cool benefits that I like about CBT is it trains your brain to start to, to realize that like um, a lot of the health anxiety stuff isn't, isn't accurate. Because with a lot of health anxiety and anxiety in general, we have a lot of skewed, um, very like, uh, what's the word for it? Like logical fallacy way of thinking about anxiety. So like, for example, uh, Taylor, you're aware of this. A few months back, I was worried about like a very rare heart condition. And the heart condition at the time, all I did is read like terrible things about it. And I'm like, oh my God, people, you know, have a lot of problems with it. Ah, well, come to find out. There's uh, many, many cardiologists that did studies on the heart condition. And, and if you look at the statistics, it's like uh, it's literally in comparison. Even if you actually have the heart condition, you literally have a higher chance of being struck by lightning than suffering an event from the heart condition. So I, I, with CBT, it, you collect up all this evidence. So like you literally, you literally write it down on paper. So you have, you have all these reference experiences that are counter examples, kind of proving yourself wrong about mm -hmm. the anxiety because anxiety in a way, in, in my opinion, it's a feeling of absolute certainty that all the mm -hmm. doctors are wrong, that you have the condition. And then that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in terms of symptoms and all that. So CBT uses uh, a logic, but also imagination to break those, break those beliefs down to where you can finally become rational and think about the problems and, and what actually happens rather than saying, Oh my God, I have this. I'm going to die. The symptoms, 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 you know? Wow. Yeah. yeah. You've explained that really well. I've always <laughs> said this, but my brother, he's so full of knowledge and he doesn't give himself enough credit guys. Like, so please DM us and email us for my brother to do more guest podcasts or create <laughs> his own because he's freaking smart. And it's frustrating because I feel like he talks even better than I do, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty crazy to also make note that you don't even see a therapist. You kind of have just collected a ton of knowledge yourself 
and mm-hmm. have found that to be more effective than the therapist you've seen in the past, which I feel like this is important to note because so many people will message me and including myself and my brother that they've tried therapy and they just feel like it they were worse off or it didn't work for them. So then they kind of just give up on everything and feel that they're not able to get better. But I don't feel like you should just give up on everything if seeing a therapist doesn't work for you. Uh, mm-hmm. because there's so many ways to healing. I mean, like, listen to my brother talk. But uh, so my brother, basically, when he went through that anxiety, I think it was really related to either the THC and weed bringing it out. Maybe it was underlying, but I think that weed and THC in the weed can really bring it out. There's a lot of studies on that. And I know some people who try CBD with THC have felt this way. They're like, I didn't even know that this could happen, but my anxiety got worse when I tried it, whatever. So basically... My brother went through that and I think it brought the anxiety to a head and then he got better. I would say what you were, you weren't really having panic attacks or anxiety for how long? Um, before COVID? Yes. Before COVID. I would say years. Years. I had had health. I had a, a social anxiety to a degree, like when it came to dating and all of that. But yeah. in terms of like, in terms of like actual debilitating no, but health like anxiety, no medication, no, no supplements, no. nothing. Like he literally recovered panic attacks and like symptoms and all of that on his own, which is crazy. But I mean, I wouldn't, I don't want to just say on his own, like he did it magically. My brother put in serious work, but mm-hmm. let's fast forward to COVID. So when COVID began, I don't feel you were that anxious. When COVID in 2020? March 2020. Yeah, I don't feel like you were that no. anxious. No. No, I, I looked at the statistics and I said, we need to be smart about this. We need to follow, you know, the guidelines. Right, right. And like we, everyone did. Yeah, you don't want it, basically. It's not something yeah. you want to have. So, no. so yeah, we followed the rules. I was anxious in terms of a healthy level of anxiety, which yes, is I'm going to yes. do what I can do not to not to get it. Like, I'm not going right. to go out just and start, like, breathing everybody's air, you know? I never saw so. you having, like, a mental breakdown or, like, panicking or any of that over it. Like, I thought you were pretty chill. Just like like you said, everybody kind of in America, we didn't know what was – or around the world, I'm sorry. We didn't know what was going on. So everybody had some form of anxiety. But then you mm-hmm. fast forward to this past January. We got COVID. Mm. And I remember you texted me. And because our mom got it and she still feels bad that she gave it to us. But basically my mom got it and then I got sick and then my brother and my dad were kind of fine. But then my brother texted me and he was like, hey, I think I have COVID. I spiked a fever. What we need to do is watch funny stuff to keep our mind off of it. So I thought, you know, like, hey, my brother's like handling this pretty well. Like you seemed chill. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think... uh what happened was it was a conglomerate of things. So it was the constant news again, going back to Pavlov's bell. Yeah. It was the, every day you heard about COVID and the news media every day said, you're, if you get it, you're going to die. And it's like so much negativity associated with COVID. And I feel that the news misrepresented um, the statistics a little bit. And I, I know why they did it. Cause they wanted to, they wanted to make sure people were safe about it and smart about it. But the problem with the media is when things are presented in terms of health, they present it in some of the worst ways possible. Um, just to especially bring up an for example. people with anxiety. Oh yes, yes, because they because they don't give you they give you the they give you the anxiety mindset of it, which is 
person fell and they're dead. We don't know how it happened. <laughs> and it's, and it's like, okay, well, what is that going to, yeah. Like, what is that going to do? And then they're like, the family is not going to release how it happened. You know, it's those kind of things. You always and, can never find how they exactly died. It's like this most vague story, no background. And they never tell you exactly what happened. Yeah. And that's the problem with forms too. And, you know, sometimes Reddit where people talk about like some terrible health experience they had, and then you don't know all the details of that situation. And they're like, right. it came out of nowhere. And it's like, then, <laughs> then you read their post history. And if you want to be that kind of person and you, you find out that they've had health problems for years and it's like, oh, okay, well, you know. Right. Right. So, um, okay. So, uh, the, I, because after having COVID, I became a little preoccupied with my heart and it's something I've, I've been preoccupied with in the past too. And so like with heavy exercise, I've been a lot more cautious about how I go about it. Uh, because I did take a break from exercising after having COVID and I've just kind of recently started to pick it up in terms of like heavy duty, getting your heart rate high type stuff. So what I've been doing though, and what CBT talks about is collecting up uh, experiences where before you do the task or the exercise or whatever that you're worried about, you first remember what it's like before doing it. So have like, you know, your expectations, like what you think is going to happen, your concerns and all that. And then you actually go and do the task. So for me, it was doing the cycling and when I did this cycling before I did it today, actually today, I was, I was a bit nervous. I was like, okay, well, I'm about to do something that could raise my heart, uh, heart rate. So I remembered kind of my expectations, my fears. And then I went to go do the treadmill. I mean, I'm sorry. I went to go do the cycling and I did it better than I have in months. And I got my heart rate up to like 160, 170. And after the experience, I literally, I, I literally st I stood there and remembered before and said, wow, isn't it interesting that before I did this, I sincerely thought I could possibly have an issue. Then I did it, felt good, and I, I never had an issue. So when you start to collect those examples up, you're, you're literally teaching your brain one step at a time or one experience at a time that there's nothing to be worried about. And at some point, your brain learns. And that's why CBT is literally... Uh, covered by a lot of health insurance companies as recommended therapy. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people forget those moments. I feel like when you're in extreme irrational panic mm -hmm. and then you get out of it, you almost forget how irrational you were, that you almost black out those experiences that the next time it happens in your head, you don't remember the last time it happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's why, yeah, that's why I've been, you know, with health anxiety and you've been there too where we essentially kind of go back to the same issues, even after a doctor has said, you're fine, you right, know? Right. And yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, it's one of those things where if you don't teach your brain what you want it to do, it does it for you. And sometimes right. in ways you don't want, like this one's uh, therapy that I really like to, we're really interested in is they say like, uh, basically you have to be driving your own bus. Because if you don't, someone's going to drive it for you, and it may, and they may not drive it the way you want to have have it driven. So, huh. so, mm -hmm. so, how does that work exactly? Like you have to just continually have the conversation with your mind. Literally, I mean, like, uh, like I said, like before before I went cycling, I literally was a, a bit worried about it, 
And I said, okay, this is me a bit worried about cycling. And this is what I'm, I'm literally having this dialogue with myself and I'm even making, so this is another thing. I'm going to take a sidestep. So with, uh, with modern therapy, so with talk therapy, for example, the problem with talk therapy is you could literally be in it for years and have very little results. Now there's some people that have a lot of results and that's, that's Mm -hmm. great. The problem is with talk therapy, you're literally talking to the prefrontal cortex of the brain. So the prefrontal cortex deals with abstract thinking and that kind of stuff. Um, And with some of the stuff I'm talking about, it's a little different where we incorporate representations. So pictures, words, sounds, uh, feelings, hearing. So just the full sensory database. So what happens is when we have a full sensory experience, so like before cycling, I made a picture of me, you know, I see, I literally see my hands, I'm in the car, I see lifetime fitness, and I have a picture of that, which is a, which is symbolic of the before experience. So then when I'm doing the cycling and then after the cycling, I can reference that full sensory experience that my brain, my whole brain can understand, not just my prefrontal cortex, because this is just linear length. The prefrontal cortex is just linear language, thoughts. It doesn't deal with the whole, you know, sensory experience, the whole brain, like the back of the brain, which, effect, which affects our emotions, including our amygdala, responds to full sensory experiences, not language. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So if you're just doing talk therapy and you're not doing other exercises on the side, such mm-hmm. as imagery, would that be like uh, why sometimes EMDR comes in? Is that working with? So EMDR... EMDR, yes. Uh, EMDR, essentially, there's a there's a theory that we process experiences using eye accessing cues. Mm-hmm. So, like for example, if I we're not on video, but if I if I were to say, uh, you know, think of your like, what does your grandma's house look like? To answer that question, a lot of people move their eyes, and you could even do this as an exercise. Ask, ask someone, uh, what does the sound of your car sound like? And then they'll, they'll move their eyes to a certain direction. When they do that, the theory is they're actually accessing the, the experience using their eyes. So, yeah, uh, yeah in, in, one, in one school of thought, it's called eye accessing cues, where we use our eyes to access memories. So with EMDR, a lot of times what they'll do is uh, the traumatic experience normally for the person is accessed with a certain eye movement. So what they do instead is they have the person go back to the traumatic experience, but this time reprocess the experience differently by moving their eyes left to right. Hmm. And also there's, there's ways where they have their eyes like move all over the place in different directions while they think about the experience. But what it does is after a while of the person moving their eyes until they basically, you know, they're sore is the person starts to reprocess the memory differently so what we call traumatic, which is the felt sense emotion uh, about the experience, which again, connected with Pavlovian conditioning stimulus response, what happens is the person breaks up that stimulus response to the memory. So now they're feeling differently about what happened. And it's no longer as traumatic, or even for some people, it literally just goes away. Wow. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That's pretty crazy. Uh you're extremely knowledgeable on a lot of this. And also, I don't know if you guys know, but my brother's also hypnotherapy certified too. Mm-hmm. So he can do 
I mean, I want to be your client, but I don't feel like that works. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, but, it's a bit, it's a bit different when you work with your family versus like clients. Right. Cause your right. family, the problem is your family kind of knows you very well. And yeah. like, if I sat Taylor down and started like talking in my hypnosis voice, she would be like, probably laugh. Cause it's like, what is my brother doing? You know? So, but I, you don't necessarily have to see a hypnotist in order to have the experience of hypnosis because really any strong emotional experience is hypnosis. It's a bypassing of the critical factor and uh, that's how that works. So what you could do instead is you could do like very intense visualization that works as hypnosis. And you could also, there's YouTube videos of people like doing hypnosis inductions for sleep. There's some for emotional experiences. And, and the more you play with your imagination, the more you can change your emotions to start feeling the way you want to feel. And mm -hmm. then that's when you're feeling the way you want to feel as you go about your daily life, you're going to start uh, what we call anchoring, which is creating you know the Pavlovian connection between your positive emotions and then the situations that you want to feel those positive emotions in. And it happens yeah. automatically. Yeah, that's crazy. You, I think you just being so knowledgeable too is what always pulls you out of these. I, I say these, you've only had two experiences with anxiety and I feel like you get out of them pretty quick because you're so educated mm -hmm. on all these topics. Well, Whereas I mean, I, I would say I've had, I've had more than two anxiety experiences. I, I suffered a lot. The big problem came not really from health anxiety per se. I would say my health anxiety was more episodic. Um, the, the big problem was the social anxiety and generalized anxiety, which kind of kept me, which kept me isolated. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but I've, I've noticed you like traumatically change though. To yeah. Where I feel like you can be extremely social when you want to be. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's with, uh, I just, what I did with that is I still have my, you know, meditation practices, so about 20, 30 minutes of literally, like I literally catch him deep breathing all the time. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Well, and there's another thing too. There's uh, essentially, there's a thing with the vagus nerve. It's called vagal toning. And yeah. with vagal toning, it's very powerful stuff. So with vagal toning, essentially people with a lot of anxiety, uh, their vagus nerve tends to be out of whack. Um, and that could cause symptoms like uh, tachycardia, uh, so fast heart rate. It can cause um, a lot of a lot of other symptoms, some gastrointestinal too, because a lot of people don't know we actually have a uh, a second brain in our gut, and uh, the gut brain connection it's a very real thing. There's a lot of science behind it. I'm trying to think of the exact term. It's called like endo something, but basically with the the vagus nerve, there's a uh, there's some vagus nerve techniques, and I can I could send it to Taylor. It's a video YouTube link. And I could have Taylor put it in the podcast notes. And essentially the technique is you keep your head straight. So you just look straight ahead. And then you literally move your eyes to the right side as far as you can. So you're looking at your peripheral vision and whatever is in your, the farthest to the right or left peripheral vision. And you just focus on that and hold your attention there. And at some point you actually start to yawn or you sigh or you gulp. So you swallow and that's essentially toning the vagus nerve. And when you tone the vagus nerve, what happens is it's, a, it's an immediate relaxation response. And it's, and I, I have done it. it. It actually helped me uh, when I was doing a lot of research, when I was in the fight or flight mode, 
of having health anxiety when, when I just couldn't be reasoned with, I, like I just couldn't sit down and relax. Basically I was just, I was out of whack. And when I did the Vegas nerve technique right after that, I, I felt completely centered and it gave me a very euphoric, very good feeling. And what that allowed me to do is slowly use that feeling to break out of the um, anxious health anxiety habit. Uh, yeah, I've heard a lot about that, but the way mm-hmm. you explained it's really good. So if you had to leave everybody with four things that have helped you, <clears throat> what four would you tell people to work on or start with? So the vagus nerve technique, number one, um, that's, it's a miracle. It truly is. And, and I'm very curious to hear responses from other people that do the technique. So like once Taylor puts it in the puts the link in the notes section, do the technique and, and do it pretty consistently and tell us how, tell us what happens. Because I, I assure you doing that, it's, it's like a physical change, not a verbal change. It's a physical thing you could do that has immediate results. So it's very powerful. Mm-hmm. Now, um, another thing too. So the second thing, you said four things. Second thing I would say is any sort of meditation. Um, and, and meditation is not for everybody. So there is, some people who they don't really react well to it because they can't sit still. So that's, that's kind of a thing. Uh, the third thing would be um, any sort of diaphragmatic breathing. So any kind of slow breathing because breathing is directly connected to your emotions. And you could even test it out for yourself. I mean, when, you're, when someone's in a fight or flight state, their breathing's crazy. It's fast breathing. And a lot of times it's... Um, How, do you recognize that when you're in fight or flight? I recognize not fast, shallow. So I'm not taking deep breaths when I've been in fight or flight. Okay. So when I deepen my breathing and it's easy because a lot of people, what they do is they'll either breathe in their mouth and then out through their mouth, or they'll breathe in their nose and then out through their nose. And the key is to breathe in through your nose and breathe out through your mouth and just allow that to happen and keep doing it for a little while. And you'll start to calm down. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And again, that, that has a tie in with the vagus nerve as well. Now, um, the, so the, yeah, the abdominal breathing, diaphragmatic breathing, um, basically hand on your belly, hand on your chest, make sure your belly moves more than your, the hand on your chest does basic. Um, and that's powerful. Uh, the third thing would be, Hmm. There's EMDR exercises you could do. Uh, so if you YouTube EMDR, there's things you could follow that even have like a cursor where you, you kind of think of a memory, hold it in place, and then follow your eyes with the cursor as you're holding on to that memory. So changing how you're experiencing that memory. The fourth thing I would say is either, you know, have some sort of tracking method. So what I mean by this, two things. Actually, it's going to be a two-parter. What I do is I live my life in uh, 15 minute to 30 minute increments. So I literally, I have an Apple watch. You could use any timer. So you set a 15 to 30 minute timer. And before you set it, you literally ask yourself, like, how do I want to spend this 15 to 30 minutes of my life? Do I want to get things done? Do I want to, you know, uh, watch a Netflix show? Like literally anything. And what happens is the more you start to, it kind of forces, it's kind of a trick because it forces you to live in the moment rather than thinking about like, how, how's my year going to be? Who am I going to be in 10 years? Am I going to get cancer in five years? Oh my God. Like, like it, what it does is tracking your time 
keeps you more focused on what's happening now. So you can enjoy the moment and then, you know, you don't, you're not thinking as much about the future. So that's a plus. Mm -hmm. The other thing is have a tracking method where you, so like if you have a preoccupation with it, with a certain health issue, or if you have any anxiety at all about anything, start to notice before you go and experience the stimulus of like the problem situation, whether it be, you know, you're about to go exercise, you're about to enter an anxious, anxiety provoking situation. Notice how you feel before the event, write down the date, write down the time, write down how you were feeling, write down any expectations you have about what you think is going to happen and, and write that down because then after the experience, you can then reference that previous expectation and keep constantly proving yourself wrong. Because like I said before, a lot of what I've read and also at least my, my experience, which I mean, in my opinion, with health anxiety, personal experience, rather than, you know, some therapist writing up, this is what health anxiety is. I've never had it, but this is what I've heard. (laughs) Personal experience is much better. So personal, my personal experience of it is, uh, it's a very, it's a very certain feeling, even though I'm, even though I've been like completely out of my mind panicked, I'm so certain about the issue, even though medical experts have told me, you have no issue. You're perfectly healthy. No problem. I have this weird sense of certainty based on nothing. Like it's, it's insane. It's like, I'm not a doctor. So it's like, what, how am I so certain that I have this issue? Like, where is this certainty coming from? Like, I'm so confident about it. So what happens is when you start to compare previous expectations, event went well, previous expectations, event went well, your brain starts to be like, what are we doing? Like, why are we like, at some point your brain sees like a hundred tallies, a hundred before and afters. And something starts to click and then you're like, whoa, my, my worry was completely unfounded. And look how much, look how many hours I've wasted. I could have been doing other things. So you have to, with anxiety, prove to your brain that it's wrong. And that's what those before and after reference experiences that you write down, which is the most important part, start to add up. And then you get that click of, you know, realization. You almost like have to keep calling yourself out. Yes, you have to. Because if you don't, your brain's just going to keep running the pattern that you've taught it to run because again, stimulus response. So your brain's just going to keep running that pattern until you start to literally stop and be like, previous experience, I was wrong. Previous experience. And your brain, your brain has, because your brain's geared towards towards survival. Mm -hmm. So if it's constantly proving something's wrong, like, oh, I'm wrong about this. Your brain's like, oh, we're wrong about this. So we, we better change our perspective because our previous worry is no longer helping our survival. Right, right. I think uh, I think a lot of people, um, they don't have that dialogue and they expect to just like wake up tomorrow and their anxiety go away and they want to do something that makes their anxiety just go away tonight and they're going to be better tomorrow. And a lot of times people do that by trying to fight off symptoms or distract the anxiety but i think it's so important to befriend the anxiety and almost Mm -hmm. like let it hang out with you instead of fighting it and just kind of let it go through the day with you and then slowly show that it doesn't control you and that you actually have more power than you have been giving it for so long but also learning that think about how long you've had anxiety for how can you expect that long of a habit I call it a habit, right? If you're like getting anxious every day, you've almost created a habit of being an anxious person. 
So you can't expect a whole three years worth of something to go away in 24 hours. Yeah. It's now, I will like say people who crash diet, you know? Yeah. I will say the Vegas nerve technique, I sincerely hope people try it out because there is instant results for that. I mean, I, I did that when I, uh, I had this thing where I thought I was going to die before I sleep. And it was like very, it was, it, it kept me up. It was like insomnia inducing. But when I did the Vegas nerve technique, it instantly calmed me down enough to sleep. So, I mean, it's a big instant, I'd say that's an instant tool you could use. And then, you know, pile that in with, you know, meditation practices, something you do to relax, and then you're tracking constantly the before and afters. That's a huge, that's a huge, powerful tool. And the before and after tracking, that's a big thing in CBT. I mean, it's sort of the crux of CBT is, is constantly contrasting the before and after and improving yourself wrong. Yeah, I feel like sometimes talk therapy and therapy and psychologists and stuff, they make things seem a lot more difficult than it really is. And there's a lot of work that you can start today and you don't have to go see a therapist and, you know, go through each hour session where you learn one tiny thing. And then you're just like waiting for the next week to get that tiny bit of more information. There's so much information you can start teaching yourself today and working. Well, yeah, I mean. My experience at talk therapy, I did a little bit of it because I've, I've had, I have had, I've had, I've gone to therapists previously in the past right. and, uh, the talk therapy I did, it, it was temporary. So I'll give it that. But the problem was I noticed I would go in and I would be like, Hey, I think I'm going to die from these heart issues. Um, I think I'm having like, you know, uh, a lot of health issues or whatever. And I, I may or may not have them that uncertainty. I don't know. And then they would be like, okay, well, tell us about your mom and dad. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Wait, I'm, I think I'm dying. Like, what I, yeah, I, I didn't get a cookie when I was young. Like, okay. And then that never, to be honest, that, that never helped me talking about the past really. Cause the past yeah. is over. What, I, what I prefer is to change my current stimulus response to things now because I live now and I live, I live moment to moment. So my past, I may have, I may have, you know, built up associates. Like I could have like some thing growing up, and then as I grew up, I made a stimulus response, Pavlovian connection between the stimulus. But I could change that now without having to reference, you know, how my mom and dad were. So yeah, right. And again, talk therapy. It's it's you know mostly working with the prefrontal cortex of the brain, which is not responsible for the emotional changes. I'd rather tag the amygdala and uh, the cerebellum, you know, all the back, the, our ancestor part of the brain that developed much longer ago, prefrontal cortex, that's a new, new technology we have. So I'd rather work with the deeper parts of the brain where change can happen um, in a very permanent way. And I just don't think talk therapy really does that. And, and I, it's sad because I, I think what happens is, and this is, again, my opinion, I could, I'm perfectly happy with being wrong about it. The problem is when you start an industry called talk therapy, you get employees of the industry and it sort of self reinforces itself. I mean, it's, it's like health insurance companies. They, they have to have people with problems and those problems have to stay. Cause if, if they had like, you know, Oh, two session miracles or, Oh, we could do these CBT techniques. You'll be out in a month. You'll be okay. If they had a huge success rate quick, then they wouldn't have the customers long-term. So yeah. because of that, sadly, I think what happens is you get a lot of people who, okay, we're going to have five sessions. 
uh, two sessions are meet and greets. You know, here, here's a, here's a pa- piece of paper, which I, which I ripped out of a CBT workbook from Amazon, you know? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's, yeah. I, I, I think it, I think, uh, healing involves a bunch of tools in your toolkit. And I think a lot of times it's just like go to therapy or take medication. And I think that there's so many other ways to healing. And I think that's what you've kind of talked about today, which I think is awesome. And I'm so glad you came on. And mm-hmm. if you liked Ryan being on the podcast, uh, email us or DM us. We can get him on again to maybe talk about another topic. I don't know if he's up for it, but yeah, uh, yeah. yeah it's been fun. Thanks oh, for yeah. coming on. Yeah. No, thanks for inviting me. All right. Bye, guys. See you next yep. week. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.